Welcome to season two of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Yeah, I am loving this time of the year. It's hard to believe we're almost halfway through season two of the Love Good Podcast. Today is episode 13 with the one and only Dr. Ryan Hanning. He's a longtime patron. He's a contributing blogger for lovegoodculture.com and a very dear friend. Okay, if you go to his website, ryanhanning.com, you'll find very quickly that he is a scholar and a homesteader. Okay, and, and Ryan is one of those people just by showing up, he points me beyond myself. Like any conversation, any encounter I've ever had with him and his family is a little bit like the encounter with beauty that we're always talking about. It brings me outside of myself. It forces me to reckon with life's most important questions. And today we, we really dig into the power that beauty has to expand the soul. And what I mean by that is this, that In fact, we all have an innate desire for beauty, but our capacity for that has to be expanded over time so that we learn to love more and more the better things. We also have a really cool conversation about homesteading and what it's like being a father with nine kids. So hang on tight. This is one of the best episodes yet. And I know you guys are just a couple of weeks, probably from Christmas by the time you're listening to this. I hope you're having a beautiful and wonderful month of December leading up to the epic, epic day of December 25th. Hang on tight, because at the very end, we're going to have a really cool announcement. In fact, a final announcement about how you can give people a patronage, invite them into this beautiful movement of love good by giving them the gift of a subscription. So hang on tight for that announcement at the end. And we'll be back in just a few moments with Dr. Ryan Hanna. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. We have the privilege of sitting down today here in the Love Good Studio in Nashville, Tennessee with Dr. Ryan Hanning. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great. And now I can actually say from Nashville, Tennessee. Right? Doesn't that I mean, feel we're so actually good? Here now. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, other people move out to, to Nashville for uh, for the art and music, and we just came out here to rediscover the joy of family life, and uh, so far, so good. That's right. Yeah. Originally from Phoenix, like, were you born and raised there? You ended up there when you were raising kids of your own. Yeah. So born and raised in Southern California. I always say Northern Mexico because I was pretty far south in California, exiled from paradise, ended up out in Phoenix for high school and college and met Rebecca out there and got married and 18 years out there raising nine kids. And we just really felt we needed a change and felt called to the Lord to come out here and 
ended up out here just north in White's Creek. So we're, we're loving it. Five Watt, months out here. Watts and, Creek, I think it's how you yeah, say Watt, that. Yeah, Watts uh, Creek, that's right. It's interesting. You're right. Most people would come out here to pursue a music career. I, I kind of am still waiting for the day that you launch some kind of like underground bluegrass thing. You know, <laughs> It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, I figure it's got to be. I have to learn how to play any of those instruments first, yeah. <laughs> but that will come later. And, and actually, this could be a, a part of our conversation today, but maybe unknowingly, even artists, they're moving to Nashville for the culture. And I'm sure that so much of, of what you guys are enjoying and, and entering into day in and day out. But like, let's just take a moment here to, to properly position this conversation because, you, you know, even on your website, it says that you are a scholar and a homesteader. And really from the three or four years now of our friendship and all the different conversations in between, you know, this has been a, a consistent thread and, and something that really amazes me because I have a few other friends like you who are raising big families, who are, you know, deep thinkers, you know, thought leaders, maybe the heads of, of different organizations where they can work remotely, but they're also doing this homesteading thing. There's a lot of people out there who don't really know what that means, why occasionally you'd, you'd come in from an after of work smelling like goat or sheep or fill in the blank. So what is this homesteading thing all about? Yeah, we're still figuring it out. So we're sort of nom- novice homesteaders. We've had goats for now seven or eight years. We are like on our fifth generation of goats. They're pretty cool. And we actually brought them all out here. So, you know, driving from Phoenix, Arizona, Nashville with five kids and five goats in the back and a six by 12 trailer with all our worldly possessions was a lot of fun. But yeah, homesteading essentially, I guess for me, the way I think about it is is trying to enter into a place where we can appreciate and participate with the land as gift and then actually benefit from the sustenance it provides. Right. So like we do that all the time. We're in a reciprocal relationship with our friends. We we work in a particular way, right? We we put in a day's work for a fair wage. So we 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 have this understanding of relationship all around us, right? Um, you know, for people of faith, they understand what it means to be in right relationship with God. But that right relationship with the land is that third fundamental relationship, right? That the great, you know, Greek philosophers talked about it. Benedict the sixteenth like lived in that area, constantly talking about you know the greenery of Bavaria, where he came from and and what that meant for him to be in right relationship with the land. So I think for homesteaders, they want to enter into that, not in a commercial way, not in a way you know that we're going to receive all our sustenance, but in a way where that right relationship actually provides something for us. And so for, for us right now, uh, this means we have goats and sheep and you know, every every meal we're eating something off the land. I mean, and we just sort of take it as it comes too. The property we moved on had three chestnut trees. So we harvested <laughs> 250 pounds of chestnuts. I've eaten some and, of those chestnuts. Yeah, it's really good. Amazing. It's actually worked out well. <laughs> and, you know, we just added New Zealand sheep. <laughs> we have bunnies now and, and you know, we're, we're, we're doing a lot. We got ducks and chickens. When and- you say New Zealand sheep. Well, even like they're from New Zealand. So, no, actually, Icelandic sheep and the New Zealand bunnies. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, Icelandic sheep. Sorry. It's interesting. I mean, I, I hear all of this and knowing you and also knowing a little bit about the land movement and homesteading in general, you know, I, I'm not freaked out, right? But if I didn't know you and if I didn't know how like smart and socialized and just incredibly cool your kids are, if I if I didn't understand the the kind of undergirding of all of this... I'd probably just assume y'all were hippies, right? Is that a common misconception that you get from old friends, from people who don't get it? Yeah, it is. I think the the difference would be this, is that we're not rebelling against anything. We're not running away from society. We're not running away from the city. It's, It's not about that. It's not about a rebellion. It's about a return. So I think, you know, a lot of where we feel we're at is that we really feel called to be in right relationship and participate in a way that's consistent with our temperament, that's consistent with what we want for our kids, it's consistent with what we want our pace and movement of life to be. 
And so for us, homesteading, this is a natural way to just engage in that, right? My wife and I are, are both highly motivated, sort of naturally anxious people. Like we just can't sit still. And in the city, that means you get involved in a lot of things, which are great. Nothing's wrong with that. But those things often detract from and take away from what's required of you as a father and as a, as a mom. And so for us, sort of, you know, country living is a little bit more of a fit, right? Yeah. We're busy. All, I'm more tired than I've ever been. I mean, we're busy. This morning, it's 30 degrees. You know, six thirty. I'm out there herding sheep. I mean, that's <laughs> that's different from what I did. You know, when I worked at the university. But there's something really beautiful there. And so, yeah, you know, we're well, I always say we're not in judgment of the, of anyone. We just we just know for us to get that right relation with the land means more than just shopping at Whole Foods or Sprouts. Yeah, it actually means something a little bit more participative because of our personality, because of our temperament. And so this is how we're doing it right now. And we're learning a ton about ourselves, about the capacity of our children about our own ability just to enter in. It's such a challenge today. I mean, we've we've had hundreds of years philosophically of trying to dominate and trying to assert one's will and the assumption that our happiness comes from that when actually the inverse is true. Mm. And it's not a passivity. It doesn't mean just sort of sitting back. It's actually about participation. I think of any healthy relationship, any good friendship requires work, trust, moments of joy, moments of pain. I mean, that's type. That's the type of relationship we should be with the world around us. Mm. I'm not seeking to nominate it or to, to take from it, but actually to participate with it, to receive and benefit from the goods it has to offer. I love that. And even this idea of understanding the land as gift. I, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that before. That's really, really, I'd say kind of that has consequences, you know? Yep. And I would say living in my little quarter acre plot with, you know, not much of a backyard and a four lane, you know, mini highway outside my front door, that's a very different reality than, than Whites Creek, Tennessee. And I have to say the thing that seems so genius to me is like, I'd be freaked out to live an hour away from civilization. What's so great about where you are yeah. is you're you're only 20, 25 minutes from like the heart of downtown. It's incredible. You have full access to all the the great culture that a city like Nashville has to offer, and yet you would never know it when you're, you know, when I'm over there for dinner, when I'm hanging out with the the goats in the backyard yes. <laughs> playing football. It's great. We actually sort of figured it out too. Because of the altitude of White's Creek up on the ridge. Even if like the car, like, you know, we had no gas, we could probably just still literally roll down the hill to Nashville. (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah, we love it. It's great. A little Flintstones action right right. there. So (laughs) tell me this, what's the, what's the connection between culture and agriculture? You know, we're always talking about raising our standard for media here at Love Good and and building a better culture. And, you know, I've even heard uh, some really great arguments about how you can't build culture, but you can enter into it and, and in the engagement there comes transformation and and yet i've i've never fully understood the connection with agriculture mm-hmm. and the land and you know for those of us who are out here you know really trying to take music books and art to the next level whether we're artists or patrons or just simply trying to be intentional consumers what role or kind of relationship should we have with the land, especially if we're urban dwellers? Yeah, it's still fundamental. I mean, the reality is, is sort of, you know, at the, at the heart of culture is belief, right? I mean, cultus, to, to believe, to actually have these convictions of first principles. Well, agriculture is just the way that we understand how we're meant to be in reciprocal relationship with that which provides for our, our very life, right? And so agriculture is at the very root in many ways of how we fashion, understand what it means to be in relationship with the environment around us. And, you know, we, we can look to pop psychology or to, or to classical philosophers that all tell us the same thing. To be happy and to be flourishing, you have to be in participation and relationship with your environment. 
So agriculture is really just the way that we understand and learn and believe about how we are to live based on the environment and based of our relationship with the land. And so mm. you know, this is why you know, Wendell Berry, who's my sort of intellectual father, never had the opportunity to meet him. He's 82 years old now. Been reading him for years and years, and he's really at the heart of a lot of my thought on this. Uh, had the opportunity to write back and forth with him. Some of my most prized possessions are letters that he's written me. Wow. Each one is like not, it's, it's scary. In fact, never ever write your hero because chances are the response you get is not going to be the one you want. <laughs> you know, so every response has been like, you know, heart-wrenching and like challenging and beautiful all at the Dang. same time. But he says, you know, agribusiness is, is, is the wrong word. Mm. He says it's sort of an oxymoronic word. Yeah. Right, agribusiness. Yeah. No, you don't, you don't actually, you know, you don't actually take anything from the land. If you do, you're already, it's the same thing with like a, you know, I think of young men courting women. You don't take anything from a woman. Right. No, no, no. You participate and earn the right to be in relationship with them, right? This is why, you know, we have so many problems with relationships and sort of, you know, perpetual adolescence. I mean, my 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 world is, you know, is college life. And as a university professor for years and years, I've seen it again and again. No, once you start starting to think that you can take something from somebody rather than just to receive the gift they have to offer and to participate appropriately with that. So agriculture is really at the heart of how we are in relationship with the land. And it mm. actually forms culture. I mean, think of, if you wanted to find any culture, we immediately think towards food. Right. Right. Because that's part of that whole thing about how it is that we believe and participate and, and be human in the environment around us. It's so interesting because you talk about agribusiness versus agriculture. It is sort of the difference between a transactional mm -hmm. and a relational approach yeah. to the land, but I think to life. I mean, there is nothing that I would be more saddened by than if suddenly my relationship with artists, my relationship with patrons, my relationship with our apprentices suddenly became transactional, sort of like this give and take yeah. versus a, a, a mutual engagement, a, a mutual kind of sharing of life together. And I agree that, that that's not easy. It requires a lot of intentionality. So this is interesting. We're, we're obviously now talking on a very large scale about this kind of vision of a, a right relationship with the land. What does that look like to have right relationship with perhaps not agriculture in the in the traditional sense that we would think, but culture that whether we realize it or not, we're entering into right. every day. And obviously one of the big influencers in our culture is media. And you know, we've had so many conversations, Ryan, through the years about the transcendentals, and that's a mm -hmm. big part of Love Good, obviously. I probably don't even realize how much influence you've had in our root system through those conversations. But just a few weeks ago, I was on a good friend of mine's podcast. His name is Matt Frad, and Matt's real big on Thomas Aquinas. I think we could mm -hmm. all hold up as certainly the greatest philosopher ever, if, if not one of the greatest of all time. And yet, I think I have a sense of Thomas and his philosophy more than I really have an exact understanding of it. And the reason I can tell is because whenever I start talking about Thomas Aquinas, I sound like an idiot. <laughs> whenever you talk about him, it suddenly is like sitting at the foot of some kind of great rabbi. <laughs> and I feel like I'm finally understanding it, like all the light bulbs are going off. So talk to me about Thomas, certainly culture, but specifically beauty and this yeah. this idea of not only speaking to the innate desire for it, but how we can build our capacity for it. What is that all about? Yeah. So, I mean, if we, so if you think of culture and think of those those fundamental beliefs that, that we share and how we sort of share life together, you know, beauty is actually at the heart of it, which is really gets sort of excited. So think of it this way. So and there's this great line and I, I love it. And I repeat it to my children all the time. I tell my students and I have no idea the source. <laughs> <laughs> but is this, is that, you know, logic can convince, but when logic can't convince, beauty can woo. And when Thomas talks about beauty, 
he talks about beauty as, as a sense of understanding, right? As actually a type of knowledge. <laughs> so we, we think of beauty as, as something that we perceive or something that happens to us, right? We encounter beauty. It just sort of pop. It happens. See something beautiful, a beautiful image, right? But Thomas doesn't talk about it that way, not in this sort of passive sense. He talks about it as a way of actually knowing. So, so turn that on its head for a moment, right? If beauty is a way of knowing, then what's beauty communicating to us? Well, here's the way I like to think of it, right? If our intellect can resonate with truth, right? We know something's logical. We know something makes sense. Our heart can resonate with goodness, right? We love those feel-good stories when, a, when an injustice is made right. Well, well, beauty is like what brings those two together, right? Nice. And so if beauty then is a way of knowing that actually integrates both our intellect and our heart, in other words, beauty actually draws together both truth and goodness. And this is actually the way that Thomas thinks about it. This is the way that other philosophers think about it. Von Balthasar definitely thinks about it this way, right? He has these great quotes about it. And they actually inherit this from a, a classical philosophical tradition of, of really that comes out of Greek philosophy meeting Christianity, mm. right? So this form of Greek dualism where, where the spiritual and the the the, the earthly are divided in this chasm that can never be met. And then the Christian sentiment that no, that actually those two things actually relate to each other and are made to actually meet, right? And so, you know, beauty is right there in the intersection between truth and goodness. And so while the ancient philosophers thought of beauty as its own transcendental, which it is, it also has this really sort of pragmatic aspect that it, it's meant to integrate. So yeah, indeed, when logic can't convince, beauty can woo. Yeah. This is, I, I see it all the time. One of my favorite examples of this is <laughs> I have this talk I give to uh, seniors in high school. So I've done hundreds of senior retreats now. And I, I talk about the purpose, essentially how to guard your heart when you're going to college. And I talk about, you know, knowing what college is for. And then I talk about being in the right relationship and then, you know, go on to sort of the, the, the brass tacks of it. But when I talk about relationship, I talk about that, that beautiful relationship between male and female and how that transitions when you come into adulthood. I have a series of images on the screen where I talk about what's the telos of marriage, right? What's the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of, of dating or courtship? And I walk through the sequence, right? Where it shows like a young couple, and these are all students of mine in these pictures. So a young couple moving towards marriage. And I get to the last slide, and it's actually a, a picture of a couple where the, the context is, is that the, the woman is 90 years old and she's dying. She's in a hospital bed. And her husband is laying with her and their, their, their embrace is so beautiful. And every time, hundreds of students, these are seniors in high school, when I show that picture, every single girl goes, oh, <laughs> every girl swoons and every guy sits up a little straighter, right? Because something is so beautiful. That image integrates just for a moment. That, that beautiful image integrates what we know to be true about marriage and the goodness of it. So it, beauty can bring together the intellect that searches for truth and the heart that searches for goodness in a really amazing way. And so if you want to talk about the relationship between beauty and culture, it's right there. If culture is about what we believe and value and how we share that together, mm. then beauty is the language that mm. we can sort of speak about these amazing truths, right? That doesn't require logic, doesn't require even an appeal to justice. So you know, for me, I get really excited about this stuff. And you can you can parse it out a thousand ways. You can look at Aquinas or 
go to back to Aristotle or Plato or go to my favorite Dionysius. The Areopagite talks a lot about this. He sees beautiful lines about beauty where he talks about how beauty brings truth and goodness together. And so, you know, when we think of beauty, let's not think of it as something that we passively receive, but actually something that we engage and enter into and that beauty is actually helping converge and bring together truth and goodness. That's what it's doing. Beauty brings together truth and goodness. I love it. And obviously, this is a part of your commitment to the land. You're entering into beauty on a day-in and day-out basis and teaching your, your children how to do the same. With that, beauty obviously comes a mess. You know, I'm just like imagining like y'all's laundry loads with uh, taking care of farm animals, you know. Yep. Really like so interesting and captivating to, to know your family, to, to come over for dinner, to have even over the last three or four years to have you a guest blogger, you know, mm-hmm. on our website. You've been a patron from day one and yet I feel increasingly humbled by my inability to put a lot of these kind of things into words. And, you know, you can do it. And and yet I'm just so curious in your own experience, even before you were married, you know, how would you how would you enter in to beauty? Yeah. You know, how, how would you even practically speaking cultivate a deeper desire for it? Because I think it's just the easy thing to to slide or to mm-hmm. slip into a lot of like passive transactional living. Yep. Yeah, you know, so if we talk about sort of what beauty does, we should talk about like what beauty is. Right? So if beauty brings together truth and goodness in a particular way, you know, what what is beauty? Well, you know, there's there's a really sort of mundane component of beauty, right? That's very, very visceral, right? Very just sort of reactive. And that's sort of the more practical sense of beauty where we see in something, something that's beautiful, right? And that's like our response to it. And that's like the first level of beauty. That's important. We have to sort of cultivate desire for that. So if Thomas Aquinas, will use him here because he brought him up, you know, he talks about beauty as, as something that sort of pleases. We call something beautiful, he says, something that brings pleasure or delight to the senses. But he goes further than that because it's a way of knowledge. So he says to, to be beautiful, there's three things, right? It has to, to have integrity, right? It has to have this, what he calls, you know, sort of proper proportion. And then this third one, I really want to focus on what she says, radiance. So that'd be the definition, right? Radiance is sort of this, this way that it expresses itself. So I think those sort of relate to the levels of beauty too. So there's sort of this mundane level of beauty. We're looking for integrity or we're looking for something to actually convincingly articulate what it's about. Mm. So good music actually articulates what it's about right? Like in of itself, it's able to communicate something about what it actually is. It doesn't try to sell you anything. It, it, you just sort of, it just presents itself and you receive it and you participate with it. You just enter into it. It mm-hmm. sort of happens almost naturally, right? But then there's this deeper level of beauty, sort of ontological beauty. And, and I think that comes back much more to what Thomas talks about, sort of this due proportion. And that's how well does a thing actually participate into becoming what it's meant to be. Hmm. So that's really key. So it's not just what it's presenting to you, but how well it's participating with what it's meant to be. So ideally, in like music or art, there is some perfect beauty out there, right? As people of faith, we believe that's all within God. And we participate in that. And so that, that second level, the ontological sense of beauty, is not just the visceral reaction. So think of it this way. You hear a song, and you're like, wow, that's a, that's a good song. I want to hear that song again. That's just sort of that visceral reaction. You're, a, you're being drawn into the harmony, the integrity of what it is. It's beautifully hmm. played. It's a beautiful message. It's well done. It's not kitsch. You know, it's not trying to sell you something. Yeah. That's that first level. We, we, we're drawn to that. But then on a deeper level, gosh, what does that music have in common with all the good music I've heard? Mm. What does that music tell me about what the qualities are 
of actual beauty. Mm. What does that music make me think of? So I was talking to a group of young women at an all-girls high school, and they asked a question I, I, you never want to hear. The question was, was how, how did you know your wife was the one? <laughs> and so I give them this long story, and I realize I'm losing them, right? And I have this cool story about how I met my wife and all that, but they're not interested in that. And so I look at them, and I say, I'll tell you what, every time I hear a song that's about love, the character of that song immediately become me and my wife, mm. right? Because there's something in that song that actually communicate about what beauty actually is, not just musically, but beauty in its ontological sense, mm. right? And so that would be sort of, if you think of, of, of beauty, this integrity, this harmony that we participate in, but then what it actually tells us about ontological, true objective beauty. And there's a third level. And Dionysius actually gives these levels, which are interesting, right? Sort of this, this more mundane, this more ontological, and this more divine level, he calls it. And that's about how it actually participates in being godlike, <laughs> right? How it actually draws us towards a deeper desire for holiness. How it actually draws us to a, a deeper desire for something more than we can achieve on our own. Mm. Right? So, so, so beauty is, is unique, right? It's, it brings truth and goodness together. We have this sort of first level response you know, I call this like puppy syndrome, right? You hold a little puppy. I mean, you can be a cold-hearted murderer and hold a little puppy and you're like, something is right here, right? <laughs> there's floppy little ears, right? I mean, it's just, just something is good there. So that's that sort of visceral reaction. And, and that's the one that we have to be really careful of in media because to have that visceral reaction is natural, but it can't stay there. It's actually then has to start moving towards how does this participate in actually communicating to me about what beauty is meant to be? How is it actually communicating truth and goodness? And how is it actually bringing those things together? And then from there, what is it actually teaching me about what God wants from me, about my, you know, my, my upward calling, so to speak? And, and beauty is meant to transcend all those three, right? Mm-hmm. So a good song can do that. So I'll give you uh, maybe a funny example. So I watched for the first time a month ago, a music video that is my new standard. It changed my life. Like I watch this thing and it is, it's Justin Timberlake's song with a Stapleton, Say Something. Oh yeah. Super simple song, super great beat. The video for it was all filmed in one take. And if you listen to it carefully, as the music's come in, they come in proportionally based off of how close Justin Timberlake is walking to the instrument in the video. Mm. Once he comes up to the piano, the piano is now in and it stays in. Right. Once he comes up to Chris Stapleton, his voice is now fully in and stays in. I watch that and I'm like, my mind explodes. Right. <laughs> and so the kids make fun of me because on my computer, I have like no bookmarks except that thing. <laughs> so it's like there. And, and it made me think about it because on a visceral level, okay, great song, catchy tune, simple lyrics, understandable. Right. You can start, say, okay, there's something there. But then start going on a deeper level. You're like, hey, wow, there's actually, it's communicating something, it's drawing me in. But if it just stays there, then it's just a matter of selling an album. Mm. But if it can go a little deeper, if I can say, gosh, how does this song share in other similar properties of other good music I've heard? Yeah, that's right. Other good art. What's visually stimulating, right? It can't just stay there. And our consumption of media, I mean, honestly, when people want to sell you something, they're not trying to appeal to those other two levels. That's right. They're trying to stop sort of that integrity. They're just saying, I'm able to communicate what I am. Mm. Well, no. Okay. Yes. I want to know what you are, but I want to know how you're good, how you're true, how you point to something deeper. Ultimately, yeah, how you point to God. I mean, G.K. Chesterton, never lacking wit, right? Says this beautiful line, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is hoping God will answer the door. Mm. Right? We're all looking for something deeper. And if we just, if we keep beauty at that commercial, transactional, 
It's, it's cheap. It's beneath us. And it will not satisfy. And here's a scary thing. When we're not satisfied, we, we, we don't necessarily, as, as, as human beings, we don't look for something deeper. We just look for something else. Mm. <laughs> and that's the problem because we just keep consuming cheap media that, that is, is beautiful that first level maybe because they know that. They can sell it all day, but never actually point towards something that's good. And this is why I give you an example. You could have the most beautiful song in the world, but the lyrics stink. It's a bad song mm. right? because it's communicating something. It might be communicating what it's about fine, but it's not communicating something deeper. Mm. It's not participating in what beauty is. That's right. And then it immediately lacks this, this ability to bring together truth and goodness. And so point beyond itself, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, when we talk about beauty, I mean, this is, this is like something for my own children. I want them to constantly increase their capacity for beauty. And, and that means, yes, have that visceral reaction. Absolutely. But then enter into it, right? Why yeah. do I like it? Why am I so moved by this? What does this call me to? What does this share with every other good music or good movie or a good thing I've seen, right? And and then move beyond that. Yeah, right? that's what that's what it should be. And so I think, you know, as, as a culture, uh, this is what we used to do very well naturally, but we've kind of forgotten how to do this. We've forgotten how to enter in because enter in requires two things: it requires vulnerability, you know, an honest openness towards what the other thing is. And then, not just vulnerability, but then judgment. Is it actually good? Is it beautiful? Is it true? And we, we stink at both. We don't want to be vulnerable. We want to be master of our own domain, right? Don't tell me what I should listen to. Don't tell me what I should do. And then once we receive it, right, we don't actually want to be reflective and say, gosh, that, that actually is not good. I don't want that. That's not good for me. Or that doesn't point out to, to what I know to be true. Mm. And so those are the, the, the two things that you need to enter into it. And I think we need to actually teach people how to do that. Yeah, and eventually, you know, your tastes and your desires, they they change. You know, mm -hmm. you, you walked in, I don't know, half an hour ago with, with Nathaniel and, and Isabel, and several of our apprentices offered them Mellow Yellow and this <laughs> disgusting, like, lime green apple Sprite or something yeah. <laughs> that was left over from some really good friends from England. I won't name their names, but they they can't access those kinds of things. Yeah, back, for good reason. That's right, that's, right, that's right. It'd probably kill you. The, the Ministry you know? of Food in England is still doing their job. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and both of them said, "No, I'll, I'll take a water. Like a water would be fine." Like there was something in them that preferred what was going to be good for them naturally. And I know that that's, you know, a, a microcosm of, I'm sure, the kind of lifestyle that y'all live as a family. What does that look like for media? I mean, how do we not react mm -hmm. in a way that sort of disappears from culture and yeah. becomes like really like hypercritical of it and yep. assumes that there's there's no truth and beauty to be found anywhere. You know, I think there's a risk involved in engagement, not yep. only because there's vulnerability, but as you put it, there comes a point where you have to sort of like offer a, a deeper perspective on things that actually the world's longing for, but yeah. no one's offering, right? So how do you be vulnerable and in a sense, you know, provide that judgment, but from a place of credibility and trust right. because you've entered in first how do you do it yeah it's it's an ongoing project I mean, like, i'm still i'm still learning how to do this with my own children like justin timberlake and chris stapleton yeah. it's a perfect example where you found a diamond in the rough yeah are you just constantly on the lookout as a you know as as somebody who appreciates beauty yourself yeah i think i'll say this is that i start with a firm belief that while there's a lot that's that's bad false and ugly uh, in the modern world there's a lot that's good beautiful and true i mean the human heart is the human heart 
and you can add on all the layers you want. You can you can make everything transactional. At a certain point, that just doesn't satisfy, right? And so I think there's still a lot of really good things in the culture. We just have to find it. Now, I, I think the key is, is this, is that when we find it, when we become vulnerable, when we, when we come into an encounter and we become judge, judge you know, properly judgmental in the sense that we actually critique it and enter into it. Now, like you said, that we've earned the right to because we've been open to it. I think we need to be willing to do that much more comfortably than we already are. Like, mm. I think we got to, look, when you watch a bad movie, it's horrible. You need to write 5,000 letters. Now, maybe you might have to, maybe that's your call to, but then just don't consume that media. That's right. Like just, you know, like that 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 green apple Sprite or whatever it was that was offered my kids, right? Like just don't consume it. And we do this really well. I mean, there's a whole new food movement. I mean, I talked, I, I've sat next to people on the plane that look just on appearances, like, you know, probably not super healthy about the decisions they make with food, but then you'll talk to them and you'll find out like they do not put certain things in their body. They do not consume certain things either. They don't like it. It doesn't sit well with them. Well, we should apply that to media as well. You know, what we see with, with our eyes and hear with our ears is so part of who we are. It just is. And so I think we need to be really, really careful about what we consume, just like we are with food or anything else in our life. And so that means being aware of the media we receive, asking friends, talking to people, creating a culture like Love Good that can yeah. be a, a trusted place to curate things that actually uplift the culture and point to goodness and truth through beauty. That's right. And so I think, I think we just have to be really, you know, really constantly careful about what we're consuming and then just to be not afraid. I mean, I think this is such a challenge. And when we re-engage, we can't come in with judgment first. Mm. No, we come in open and vulnerable, earn the right to be heard, but then be really honest about, hey, no, that's beneath us. That's not art. That's not beauty. That doesn't point to truth and goodness. Mm. It's pandering, right? I mean, so much of modern media nowadays is precisely that. Which is why, like, you know, I love, you know, reading all these articles just about high school kids and millennials and whatever you want to call it. They're rejecting this. What do they want more than anything else? Authenticity. Mm. Right? Because they've been pandered to all the time. Like, you know, I mean, can you imagine sitting there with somebody and, and, and they say, I want something beautiful. And the response from the other person is, well, what do you, what do you think beauty is? Like, no, I want something beautiful. Give it to me. Not what do I think it is? Like, I'm coming to you looking for that. Every human heart is searching for it, and, and they're not going to find it in the transactional. They're not going to find it in just sort of that, that easy, cheap, visceral experience of something beautiful. They're going to have to dive in and enter in, and that requires more. And so I think we need to build our capacity for, for beauty, and we do that by just being vulnerable and then being really critical about what we're consuming. I love it. Did that lift my heart up? Did that bring me joy? Did I, did, I, did I leave there? I mean, Joseph Pieper again, excellent. Did I leave it more prepared for festivity? Right? Think of that for a second. I love that question. Did I leave that experience more prepared for festivity? Did it actually give me life? Or did it actually bring me down? Or was it just escapism? You know, so much of, of, of the culture today presents things that, that are beautiful, that they're only surface deep, that want to just get that visceral response, or just to provide an escape from the fear of a meaningless life. That's right. And they don't actually enter in. So this is really good. There's been like seven or eight inadvertent <laughs> uh, author uh, recommendations, some of whom I know and love as well, others of whom I really need to get on it. I feel like I'm always buying books and, you know, can only read a few at a time. And so my list grows thanks to our friendship. What are the music, maybe specifically artists or albums through the years that have 
built your capacity or expanding your capacity for beauty. You might even have a film recommendation. I know you've already thrown out your, your favorite music video yes, of all time. Right. But if we were to close out with just a few of Dr. Ryan Hanning, one of our earliest and most founding of patrons in Lovegood, and what would be some of your book and film recommendations, specifically actually music and film recommendations yeah. for our patrons out there? Yeah, well, first I'll just say in in one area to build capacity for beauty, I think poetry is is the most critical way we do that using a language. So I think diving into poetry would be great. So I'm just going to name a few a few poets. So Dana Joya, as I already mentioned, a great poet. Uh, Jessica Powers, phenomenal poet. Obviously, some of the, the classic poets as well. Uh, good literature is really key. And I would say this. I think that we don't read enough fiction. And so I think there's a lot of really key books that point to what is good, beautiful, and true. Obviously, anything from C.S. Lewis or J.R. Tolkien. I'm a big fan of Evelyn Waugh. And so you definitely go that way, or Graham Greene, or Walker Piercy. I mean, there's a, the list goes on and on. And these are these are you, you'd be scandalized. You read some of these books, and 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 what they do a really good job of is they point out what's wrong in the world, right? Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily they're not there to offer hope. You know, I love you know in the words of so many great authors, and Flannery O'Connor, you know, says, look, you know, for people who are who are deaf, you 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 shout and you draw on large, startling images. We live in a culture where we're sort of you know desensitized to some of the filth and, and things out there. And so, you know, Walker Piercy and Flannery O'Connor and Graham Greene do a great job of pointing out yeah. <laughs> what's wrong in the world, just to, to draw to your attention, not to give you any resolution, just just to create in us a sense of angst to want mm. something more. Mm. So I would recommend those. I mean, I know for me, Love Good Music has been a, like a really trusted source and you know, turn me on to people like Drew Holcomb and Alain Marie Boudreau. And so you know, I think there's a lot of really, really good artists there. And I think that, you know, depending on the genre of music you like, you just have to sort of search for it, mm. ask your friends. And I would say there's a really simple test too. You know, anything that you're listening to, anything you're watching. So two things, if it doesn't pass like the mom or grandma test, like could I sit down and watch the mom or grandma? That, that might not be good for you, right? That's right. Like, you know, that's sort of that, 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 that ick sensibility, I think is really key. And then, the, you know, do I leave it actually more prepared for festivity? Like you know, watching shows with, with, with my boys and trying to think of the, the movies I want my kids to watch. You watch some of the old movies. Have you ever like left a movie where you're like ready for battle? Yeah. Like you're ready to enter in, yeah. right? Like that's a good movie. Like that that lifts up the heart, prepares you and engage more. Or or a movie you, you leave, you go, man, I wish I could love like that. Mm. Or that's the type of dad I want to be. Or that's the type of friend I want to be. And they're not cheesy movies, right? We're talking about good, you know, solid classics and the canon of amazing movies. Recently, you know, Martin Scorsese, Silence, great movie to ask these really deep questions. Not going to provide a lot of answers, right? But, but ask these really deep, profound questions that we have to encounter. You know, what does my faith demand of me? What are my core beliefs of who I am as a man, as a woman, as a mother, as a father, as a sister, as a brother, require of me, right? Daily in those small sacrifices, great movie to bring those questions up. So sorry, I wish I was more help. No, but, this is uh, so good. But those and are it, the sources I rely on. I, I like even just that concluding with the idea of, of of Joseph Pieper that you know does this prepare me for festivity? Could you just briefly define the word festivity for our listeners? Yeah, so festivity is is uh, <laughs> it, it's a, a theme that Joseph Pieper uses. It essentially means to to enter into leisure with others, mm. <laughs> right? Festivity is the celebration of leisure as a community. And it's actually what we're made for, which is crazy, right? We work, we do all this because we're called to work. We're made to work. But all of that is is actually uh, for the purpose so that we can enter into what we really are, 
Um, and what we really are is made for community. What we really are is made to share in life with one another, not just to complete the project. So, I mean, you know, given my, you know, my homestead example of this is, you know, gosh, what we are as a family is not defined by what we do, mm-hmm. right? It's defined by who we are. And, and because of who we are, that's why we do what we do. Like it's invert that on its head a little bit. And so, yeah, if we leave more prepared for festivity, more prepared to be who we actually are called to be, not just defined by what we do, so that knowing who we are, we can do that which is required of who we are. Mm, that's so cool. And and I say, Ryan, that actually you and our, our friendship and these conversations have always had a very similar effect that an incredible moment of encountering beauty in the world or in media or in the arts has always had in terms of, you know, increasing my capacity for love, helping me to desire the the better things and, and ultimately to to really chase after that that fullness of beauty that my heart longs for. So all that to say, thank you. You you remain a great source of inspiration and conviction for me. Let's close out with how people can stay in touch with you, specifically if we have anybody out there who's looking for uh, speakers at upcoming conferences. Uh, I know that this is obviously not something that you just think about once a year in the Love Good podcast and these kinds of higher level thoughts about culture and about the church and about really what it looks like to, you know, think deeply about, you know, the, as you put it, even your, our intellectual inheritance, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but then to press forward with, with courage. I mean, you're one of the few people I know who's constantly engaging the head and the heart, right? So anyways, I know you're doing a lot of work out there in consulting with amazing organizations, but also traveling as a speaker. How can people find out more about that? Yeah, so best way is uh, visit the website. So ryanhanning.com. Uh, you can follow, if you want to follow the family blog, <laughs> uh, you can click on a link there if you want to get in contact with me for speaking or writing. I mean, right now I teach nearly full-time for the University of Mary. I do a lot of work with Franciscan University, amazing students uh, that I love to work with. But uh, living up here in White's Creek means that uh, they spend most of my time on the land, but would love to come speak for your organization. I do a lot of work with private schools and probably traveling to your city at some point. And if I can come and speak for your group, I would love to would love to be able to, to do that. So definitely look me up, ryanhanning.com. Amazing. That's ryanhanning.com, scholar and homesteader himself right here in the Little Good Studio. And Ryan, just know what an incredible joy it's been to have this conversation with you today. I'll try to not be hopping off a plane right before we sit down the next time, but so, so grateful and uh, we'll do this again. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I can talk all right. You can talk all right. We can talk all night for nothing. If your heart is right, get your head in line. Cause I can't talk all night for nothing. I can talk all right You can talk all right We can talk all night for nothing If your heart's right Yeah, I think it's safe to say that Dr. Ryan Hanning is one of my living heroes. Okay, he talked about having a living hero in Wendelberry you know, or Dana Joya. That guy used to be the head of the National Endowment for the Arts, right? But my hero is Dr. Ryan Hanning. And I have the joy of living 30 minutes down the road from him. And I get to go over to his house quite often to just hang out, 
sip on scotch and really just enjoy his beautiful, beautiful family and these elevated conversations that seem to come so naturally to him. So what a joy. And by the way, this is your last chance. Here's the big announcement. Uh, you have a few days, okay, actually until Friday this week to go to lovegoodculture.com slash give. And you can give people the gift of a Love Good subscription and we can still make sure that they get Matt Moore Christmas, Matt Moore Children's Book, The Gray Havens, She Waits, all the way up to the vinyl copy of Goodbye Road, Love Good Curated Coffee, whatever level you sign them up for, we can get them their package by Christmas Day as long as you sign up at lovegoodculture.com slash give by Friday. So for those of you who are patrons out there, for those of you who have always kind of wanted to be a patron, but maybe feel like you really just want to give the gift of patronage to somebody else, this is your big chance. Check out the link in the episode description. We love you guys. Hope you're having a beautiful last couple of weeks here leading up to Christmas. And I'll be back as always next week with Alana Boudreaux. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.